0: everyone and welcome this is episode 260 of milwaukee's tailgate brewers podcast part of the mke tailgate network i am james joined uh by ryan and paul and we're all cranky for different reasons and it's halloween (laughs) night and we're about to talk about david stern so this should be a good one how how are you guys doing paul i know you've had a a whirlwind i'm I'm opting
1: out of how are you doing i'm fine okay (laughs) yeah fine is fine it's all you get (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, we we had a little mini vacation this weekend, and that was fun. And then everything, literally, since we've walked back in the door, has completely fallen apart. So not great, <laughs> not great I should at all. Say,
1: I'm better than Ryan because <laughs> things have taken a turn for the better lately, whereas not the case for him. So, yeah, you
2: know. yeah. I mean, we have an old cat who's not in the greatest of health, and we have a car that's broken, and it's going to be expensive to fix. And those things are playing off of each other in weird and awful ways, and so. It's just, it's, uh, it's been annoying. We'll leave it at that. Yeah.
0: There's, there's plenty of annoying to go around and I am very much looking forward to a vacation in about a month from now. I just, I just got to get there. It's the next couple of weeks that are going to be the challenge, but, uh, definitely looking forward to that. And I feel like a lot of people have been maybe looking forward to this because since the last time we spoke, uh, a little bit of news about the Brewers, um, surprising david stern stepping down kind of abruptly there uh, right before the start of the world series so we're going to talk all about that it's pretty much going to be the entire program uh, based on all the questions <laughs> that we got about it so we will get to that in a, a moment here but first as always let's just start out by saying if you'd like to help support us you can become a patron at patreon.com mke tailgate As little as two bucks a month gets you question priority on all of the podcasts on the network. This one, as well as reporting Mm -hmm. as eligible uh, Packers skid increasing as we all kind of expected, although it is moral victory Monday. So there is that. (laughs) Um, And five bucks a month gets you question priority. Plus some exclusive podcasts, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire, as well as Paul's Packers mini pods, previewing the game each week. So, This week's
1: mini pod, I just want to say the last couple against the NFC East teams have been sort of like predictions more of what it normally is, sort of a, a, a plausible narrative for what's likely to go on more than an actual prediction. And it, it hit on a lot of what the Packers did well and why they struggled against the Bills. That's what I strive for more than being Nostradamus. So uh, that's what you get. If you listen this week, that's kind of what you get.
0: Yeah. Although you've been Nostradamus plenty, uh, which has been frustrating in its own right, because as yes, we've correct. said, if if us Schlubs can see this coming, why can't Matt LaFleur and the coaching staff? So exactly. Uh yeah, I, I guess it, it's on to Detroit and yep. if they can't beat the Lions, they've got a whole bunch of other problems. So we
1: did we did we called this Mori Tore touchdown though. And you did also also I'm very called, happy for you.
0: Yes, me too. Also called it as the longest touchdown play of the year, which it is currently so far. So. <laughs> Hey, man, that if there was at least one good thing out of that game, it's just Aaron saying screw it and corking it and throwing a touchdown on it. So there Absolutely. you go. All right. Uh, guys, I'll talk plenty about that in the week to come as well. But, of course, we're all here to talk about David Stearns. <laughs> We've had the better part of a week, actually, to kind of digest that news that he stepped down as the Brewers president of ba- baseball operations. Matt Arnold, of course, taking over as the head decision maker there after kind of being groomed for that role for the the last couple of years here. Clearly the handpicked guy. Um, Stearns and the Brewers swore up in town that he'll still be in town in an advisory role, whatever that means. And we can get to our cynical thoughts on what that actually is in, in a couple of minutes here. But as of now. He hasn't left yet to take a job with the Mets, who, you know, may or may not even need or want him based on the year they're coming off of. But we'll see what happens there. So I guess, you know, this broke right before the start of the World Series. So this is our first chance to really talk about it. So let's just start with the initial reactions you guys had to that announcement. And I guess if you're feeling on it has changed at all now that we've kind of had a few days to think about it. Uh, Paul, I guess let's just start with you. How do you
1: feel? Uh, It didn't take days for me. It took like a couple hours. I had to go through my, uh, get into my rich person uh, CEO mindset to process this properly. And it's, so I think the most surprising thing about it is that he is currently still a member of the organization. And I think that's also the most interesting thing about it. Because when you have something like this, where um, I think it's pretty clear that he wants out, and he's still under contract, but he wants out. Usually, the the parties come to some agreement that lets the person go. Um, usually, there's a buyout in the contract, um, which may may not, and I think is not the case here. Um, but usually, something gets worked out where the the lame duck guy who wants out gets to to leave the organization. That sometimes there's some BS about it being mutual, sometimes not, and everybody moves on. and the what's weird about this and what we're talking about is it looks like someone's making somebody stick around uh, and serve a contract and not let somebody go on the markets, and uh, that's weird. It's frankly a little bizarre. It's an unusual thing to do in baseball, in corporate life generally, uh, and uh, I'm not sure it's necessarily going to serve the Brewers well, making David Stearns hang around in an advisory role or
0: any other kind of role. I think we talked about that, you know, when these things first started to come up, right? And in the speculation about his future and just like thinking about it from a business management or, or, you know, people management, HR perspective, right? This is kind of weird that, like you said, usually there's some sort of understanding. It's like, you don't want to be here. You don't want to have an employee who doesn't want to be there because their work suffers, right? So why is he still here?
2: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we we have talked about this and it is a little bit strange that he was a lame duck for this year I think we all sort of understood that that was the case though it wasn't as immediate as it is now and I think that once you start really like thinking through this well why did it happen right before the World Series because right now is the time that teams go and have all their postseason planning meetings this is when offseason strategies are hatched you are you are working over the like what we did last week, which was going over the list of people you need to tender or non-tender and all that stuff. You have to have these discussions. All this stuff has to be done. And then you need to start strategizing about what are our priorities for the offseason? What can we do in the in the short term, maybe right away? What are we going to wait around on? How are we going to proceed? What is, you know, even, you know, things as, as mundane as like budgets and all of that sort of stuff. How do we plan on allocating the money? All of those things. And so the fact that they did it at this point, I think Stearns was just... It was obvious he was not going to be running the team this offseason, that that was not going to happen. So it was time to step aside so that Arnold could get into the driver's seat and whatever. If I had to bet, I could bet a substantial amount of money very comfortably on the idea that David Stearns is not actually going to sit out this year. I think this is posturing. I think this is mostly just them saying what they have to say this is mostly just you know contract stuff paul you've talked about this in the past yeah contracts are weird and this there are motions that have to be gone through here because mark did not want to let david stearns go he 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 looked at this like i i may have to lose my players i may you know be in a smaller market and and all that but i shouldn't have to have my executives poached. And I think he is salty that the Mets basically have been tampering with David Stearns for like the better part of two years now. And I think that that made him mad.
1: That's the story, though. And that's where I think we get into a little bit of unusual corporate situation because that's all true. Like, I probably is hacked off that the Mets were so aggressive in their pursuit against what the rules normally are. And I think he is somewhat justified emotionally in not wanting that to happen, but there's larger consequences for um, uh, screwing over is a harsh word and probably a little bit big because Stearns is still paid, uh, compensated well, even if you do nothing for a year and even if he just has to endure for Mark deciding him, him adhere to his contract. Um, but you have to hire new executives, and it's not just top level executives, you also have to hire people underneath that. and uh, restricting their future movements as a possible thing that you might do and just trying yourself as kind of a jerk boss is not always the move in these situations. And that's what Mark Atanasio looks like to me right now.
2: Yeah, and I have to think that Mark is smart enough to understand that this is a game that you don't want to play too much and that you can overplay your hand in this situation. It's one thing to be petulant for a little while about something like this because you're not happy about how another team... Pursued your top executive, you know one of the most, you know, respected guys in the game, and you're unhappy about that. But like Paul said, there is a point where you can start injuring your own ability to hire people in the future if you get a reputation as being difficult in that way. And I don't think they have to this point. I think that you know they gave Matt Arnold; he was getting all these offers to. Uh, to go elsewhere and to take over as head of a baseball operation. And the Brewers basically gave him. And it was it was funny. You guys realize that was exactly one year ago that they did that. They extended him <laughs> and gave him that thing. was on the,
0: the GM. Title. It was October
2: yeah. 27th. So the same day that he that Stern stepped down, it was one year to the day um, afterward. And I think that basically set all this emotion, and we've talked about this, that we all kind of thought that Stern's shelf life, if he was going to stay, he would have signed an extension long ago, so it's a question of when he was leaving, and Matt Arnold was the man on deck all along, and that that was going to be the thing. Now the question becomes, how much does Mark want to play hardball with whoever it is that's coming after him? And I actually think there's a pretty decent chance it's not the Mets, that it, that he ends up jumping someplace else, and I think you know, a lot of speculation around the Astros because of the bad relationship. Well, the, the, the owner and the GM there don't get along James click and their, their war profiteer owner, who is a name I can't even remember right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Crane. He like, they don't seem to get along, even though click has done an insanely excellent job with a terribly
0: hard. They're about to win another world series. It's fine.
2: I mean, maybe. Yeah. So like, so you have that and, And then, but I think the Yankees are also a a dark horse here because David Stearns and Hal Steinbrenner are like uh, two peas in a pod in terms of how they look at the game and how they want to be squeeze maximum efficiency out of things and all of that. Like he would fit perfectly with how Hal wants that team run. So I think that there is there is a, a very good chance he ends up in one of those places. At this point, if you had to put odds on it. David Stearns is running somebody else's baseball ops department by the winter meetings it is like what, like almost a lock? I would bet a sizable amount of money on it.
1: Yeah, I'd say like 85%. I do think that there are, you always have to leave some room for irrational rich person grudge. Like you really do. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't
0: not do that. A lot of rich people are irrational jerks about things. That's just how they operate. Because they're bored and they have nothing else to do except by Twitter. So yeah, there
2: you go. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. and Mark just—he looks like he's aged like ten years in the last like two years. Yeah, he years.
1: looks rough. He looks real. Yeah. Bad. He really
2: does. And I actually looked up his age. Like it's—he's in his mid-sixties. Like it's per- perfectly in keeping with whatever. But he just—he seemed to have that thing where he was—I think he was getting a lot of uh, <laughs> cosmetic work done in the the LA fashion over time. Oh, okay. And then like there's there's always a point where that like that stops becoming uh really useful and people age a lot really fast once they stop uh pulling those strings so yeah
0: (laughs) there were like times last year where they were interviewing him and it was like during social distancing so it was like he was in a hallway and it looked like he had lost all of his money in his house and they were just talking to some (laughs) random guy in a in a hallway it was
2: He was wearing like an outpatient hoodie and like hadn't shaved in four days. And you're like, are you okay, Mark? Like You're you're a little concerned for him. So, yeah,
0: it's it's interesting times to be, you know, investment manager. So Mm. (laughs) there's that. All right. We have lots of questions to get to. So let's just dive right in about this. First one comes from PJ Wessels. (sighs) Ryan, what surprised you more? (laughs) Stern stepping down or Liverpool losing to Leeds at Anfield? whatever that means.
2: Yeah, Liverpool dropped a game. they never lose at home. Anfield is uh, referred to often as Fortress Anfield. They're just really, really good there. Even when they're not that great, they're usually really good there. And they lost to a, a team that's in a relegation scrap. Uh, and it was unpleasant, and it was awful, and this has been a very poor season for Liverpool. Uh, and But the thing is, that was definitely more surprising just because they just generally don't lose at Anfield than this st- sterns thing because we had sort of been waiting for it like we even in our our private dms we had a chat a few days before this happened where uh i pointed something out to the rest of the group and said do you think this means something and everybody (laughs) said yeah i think that might mean something and it was somebody liked a tweet and it was speculating about how long sterns might be around and we're like i think that might have meaning i think there might be meaning there And so, uh, yeah, I'm not going to out whoever that was, but uh, yeah, we, this isn't shocking. Like the idea that, that this transition was going to come, I mean, we've sort of been bracing for it for quite a long time. So Mm -hmm. no, that, that was definitely the Liverpool losing was more shocking and much, much more aggravating.
0: (laughs) Just remember folks, likes are public, at least for now so there's that (laughs) all right uh next question comes from our friend Jay google and it this is kind of the big picture question that i think is a good jumping off point as we talk about david stearns how would you assess the stearns era overall so paul uh, would you consider it a success or do you have mixed feelings
1: all right so no it's it's a it's a raging success overall they have made the playoffs many times they have been in contention many times they've almost made world series They have done uh, a generally speaking, a great job with uh, player acquisitions, uh, especially with the throwing spaghetti strategy that they use. They actually hit quite a bit. Their pitching development is off the charts good. They have the best pitching staff in the history of the franchise um, for the last several years. It's hard, like, there's no way to argue that it's been anything other than a success for the Brewers. They, They did not win a World Series. That's very difficult to do, but this is one of those things where everybody who is thinking critical thoughts of Stearns at the moment needs to go recontextualize their thinking on the subject because whenever you move on from somebody who has achieved at such a high level, the odds of you doing better or even the same are, are not as good as doing worse. Uh, this is a universal rule of coaching and placement. And uh, he was uh, an excellent GM and the odds that the Brewers will continue to do as well are lower than they were when he was still here.
2: Yeah, 100% agree. If I had to put a letter grade on this, I would say A-, and that is solely because they didn't win five more games in 2018. You know, if they win those games, it's an A, probably an A+. plus. Like, I don't think you can really ask for much more than that. And winning those five more games in 2018, I uh, they were, you know, it very easily could have happened. It just didn't, you know? The Dodgers were able to edge them out and in that game seven. And, uh, you know, there were some other things that, what was it, the 14-inning game in L.A. Uh, could have gone a different direction. Yeah, They were very, very, very close to winning the World Series that year. And they would have done so as legitimately one of the better teams in the league. Now, it was a weird-shaped season where they, like, didn't lose late. But they still got up to 96 wins, unseated, you know, the, the defending... You know, I don't know how many times in a row the Cubs had won the division, but it was a bunch of times, and they were the juggernaut, and nobody was expecting the Brewers to come close to them, least of all me. And so I think that if you take the whole tenure and look at it, David Stearns came into a team that was, uh, they, they were the fifth worst team in baseball when he took over by record, and they had just started a complete roster teardown. Literally had just started in the, in the fall of 2015 when he had come in and he had them with two off seasons to work with the, the 15, 16 and the 16, 17, um, sorry, the 15, 16, the 16, 17, and then the 17, 18. So three off seasons to work with. He had them in game seven of the NLCS. And that is like almost miracle stuff to do that in, in the Milwaukee market without running a huge payroll. It is truly, truly remarkable to have done that. And then to have sustained from that point on the way they did, where the only real down period that you can point to, obviously 2020, because they finished under 500, but it's such a weird year. It's not fair to draw any real conclusions from that year. You almost just want to throw it out completely. And then obviously 2022, where they missed the playoffs by, you know, what amounted to a Josh Hader save in June. And so really to the team that is now, you know, in game three of the World Series. Right. Yep. And so you just, you take all of that and you look at it and there's really no way to say that it was anything other than pretty much a a roaring success for them. And the only blemish there, the only reason you downgrade it is because they just didn't win those five more games in 2018. And that's pretty much it.
0: I think I've, you know, I feel like I've seen some looking back at the Stearns era as okay you had the 2018 run which was incredible but that that was the only year they won a playoff series so it, it, do you hold that against David Stearns at all or do you think you know obviously last year losing the first round series to atlanta five game series are kind of coin tosses too and atlanta ended up winning the whole thing so mm-hmm. i guess paul you, you can't really hold that against them can you not really, no. Um, uh,
1: the other thing is, we talk about the playoffs as being mostly random here. Um, and I know we take some guff for it on Twitter once in a while. And in truth, they're not totally random. However, um, the teams that do win in the playoffs more tend to be those that are loaded with super high end talent just because uh, a team of all stars uh, will, will more often than not beat a team of average players. Uh, and the Brewers have sort of been an average offense with good pitching. That's when they made it. But one of the things that's really hurt them is the Yelich injury. And that's that more than anything is an unpredictable freak thing. Like, um, usually knee injuries don't ruin guys. Usually knee injuries don't happen like that. There's basically no one else who's had that injury. And um, they gave him that contract. It, he hasn't lived up to it, but it's not because of uh, underlying talent or anything. It's because of a bizarre injury. And if Yelich is there at the height of his powers for multiple years, this team is a much more formidable opponent against teams like the Dodgers in the playoffs. And instead they do have to kind of rely on luck more than they otherwise would. But that's not the, I I would, I would not put Yelich on, on the GM. I would have done the same thing. And I hold people to the standard, I hold myself to. And, um, that's just one of those bad luck things that happens sometimes. And when it happens to the brewers, it's harder to fix because you can't just throw another guy on there with the payroll that they're able to pay and willing to pay. So, um, i don't hold the playoffs against them they make the playoffs a lot um they should probably win a little bit more than they have but it's like they haven't tried and generally speaking it's hard to plan for that planning for the playoffs requires an extra like 100 million dollars on your payroll and it only buys you another 10 percent or so chance so that's Mm -hmm. where that land
2: yeah that's really the thing and they got bounced in 2019 by the eventual champion too so it's like you you run into a couple teams of destiny or whatever you want to call them. They certainly weren't the best teams in baseball, but they they got bounced by them. And uh, I think that that's just a thing that happens in baseball. And I think it's just something that people are always going to hate it. And it it is what it is. And you're not going to change that about baseball. And I think that's uh, honestly that part of it gives the Brewers more of a chance. It opens up more opportunity for them than it hurts them. We'll put it that way. Like the randomness of baseball, the randomness of the playoffs. And Paul is right when he says they're not completely random. It's just that they they're more random than other sports. So that that more random than other sports aspect of it is actually what gives the Brewers the, the fighting chance to win a World Series eventually, more so than anything else. So I, I think you just kind of have to you know, if you're going to live by the sword, you have to die by the sword in that aspect.
0: Man, one of my biggest what ifs about the David Sterns era is what if Josh Hader could actually nail down that save in the wild card game against Washington? Mm-hmm. You know, that got so out of hand. And as you said, Washington went on to win the World Series that year. It's, it's just hard not to think about what could have happened. <sighs> Although, you know, they they did have they were without Christian Yelich at that point, but they they were were. so hot just to get in uh, Mm -hmm. without him, too. So that's that's the big what if for me. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, Again, another kind of retrospect retrospective question here comes from Adam Post saying within the David Stearns Brewers area era, what was the best trade and what was the best free agent signing? So. You know, we, we talked about throwing spaghetti on the wall, some of those things uh, working out. But Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, I guess what was the best trade? In well, the era? I'll
2: just throw this mostly to Paul here, and that's fine. Um, they happened on the same day in January of 2018. <laughs> and uh, it happened what the, we found out about them about an hour apart of, from each other. Best trade was the was trading for Christian Yelich who at that point was a good player, an, an all-star player, but had not shown anything like MVP form. And he became that shortly after the the trade, you know, almost, yeah, not immediately, but it took him a little bit into that season, but he became, for all intents and purposes, the best player in the national league for the next two years. And then obviously the knee thing happened and he hasn't been the same since. And, you know, that's, that's also baseball. Uh, but then the Christian or the, the, the Lorenzo Cain signing, which came, I think, abruptly after. I, I can't remember the sequence of these things, but uh, it, it happened right at that same time. And I think that there's a lot that gets missed. And I know Kurt Hoag always brings this up, and I'm going to champion what he says on this too. Lorenzo Kane had a tremendous career for the Brewers here in yep. the second run, even if it basically was mostly... Uh, the value mostly came in those first two seasons. He was so good in those first two seasons that he basically, it didn't matter what happened after that um, in terms of value because he'd already given the Brewers essentially the entire value of the, uh, of the contract at that point. So if you look at what, uh, what he had in those two years, try to pull up the fan graphs numbers here. Uh, he had a, Yeah. In 2018, he was worth six wins and the next year was worth 1.3 wins. And so essentially in those two years, he's worth over seven fan graphs wins. And on an $80 million contract in this day and age, that's basically making the whole contract back. And then you have to remember he opted out in 2020. So that takes that off of his ledger basically. And then he was also pretty much a fine player in 2021. He was worth 1.5 wins. He was in limited time because he missed some time due to injury. And it really wasn't until the last year of the deal that it went bad, where you're like, eh, this this really didn't work. But that should not sour people and make them forget what a complete stud he was in, especially that first year, where he was so, so good for them.
0: Yeah. Paul, yep. how about you? Uh, best signing and best traded of the Stearns era? Uh,
1: a trade, I think, is Yelich, unquestionably. It's just hard to argue anything else. They got... MVP-level production, and it, it's just weird that it didn't work out. It's bad. But nothing else is really close. I mean, um, all the other best players on the team were more or less um, developed. Um, Kane, I guess, uh, is, is a, a rec- reclamation, was also super good. Um, but that's kind of... Uh, I mean, the LG, I think he's not even close to anybody else, given just the war of those two seasons and the value that he brought to the team. Over that time. Um, and best free agent signing is a little trickier, um, just because oh, they've, had, they've had, they've had quite a few. Um, I, I probably do lean Kane in that scenario just because he, he was super great for a couple of years, same, right? But, uh, that defensive floor was good. He was a reclamation project and everybody else, like, there's a lot of other signings that are good, but like, um, one year of Renfro, it's fine, uh, but it's not the same as Kane for multiple years and being a clubhouse guy and a great defensive presence in center field. Um, I, I'm not really sure anything's going to come close to him as yeah. DFA's one hockey. year a doll, you know, yeah. Grandal yeah, was really of, good, but like that it was one yeah. year. and you know, Eric Thames is fun for a while, but not. I don't remember if he was traded or not, but um, uh, it's uh, it's Kane.
2: Yeah, I mean, sure. if you wanted to go purely on like return on investment. Grandall probably wins out there because what i don't think they even paid him 20 million for that year and i think they got four or five wins no, was out like, of them. It it's like
0: a te- yeah it was is one year i forget what, what it was it was less than 20 million i think yeah. even um yeah. but just an insane get because i that one for me was just definitely not expecting that and it kind of came out of nowhere too just like a lot of <laughs> david stern's moves did i'm gonna miss that aspect of it um because Stern's never leaked anything either that was kind of a unique thing in this time period too it all kind of came out of left field but um you know yeah that was just one year and he was gone and everybody knew it was one year right Kane's a little bit different that kind of signified like okay rebuild is being cut short it's over (laughs) they're going for it again right Mm -hmm. I think that was I think that's my pick, too, just because of what it signified, too, right? Like it was a uh, going all in as much as the Brewers can go all in. So, mm-hmm. all right. Next Patreon question comes from Bill Rabe asking about Stearns. Over time, his connections and intel from the Houston days to aged out, his success rates went way down, pretty much a two year slump. Turnover is good, but does Matt Arnold have new or different ideas, or is he Phil Bankston? ryan your thoughts on that
2: okay i'll let paul take the bankston part of that because that's the packers history part of it so he's the guy who followed lombardi right so yeah yeah so but dealing with the other part first off the the basic contention here that his success rate went way down and that he pretty much in a two-year slump over the last two years i would strongly disagree with that i think that he maybe wasn't quite as good as he was at the very beginning, but that's only because he set such an insanely high standard for himself. I think if you look at what they've done over the last couple of years, and this was a good cause for me to go back and look, uh, you you look at coming into last year, yes, they had the Jackie Bradley Jr. signing, and that did not work. So that, you could say, was, was a failure on his part. But then, of course, he turned around and flipped that this last offseason for Hunter Renfro, and... Basically, you know, I think redeemed a lot of that value and made up for a lot of that. Right. So I think that aspect Colton Wong was a guy they signed for 20 million dollars and they got five wins out of him. I I don't know. I, I you say what you want about the defense this year and the the various like the shapes of the production and, you know, the expectations of it or whatever. But you get five wins out of a guy for 20 million over two years and you've done very well for yourself. Sorry. There's just like no real other way around that. And then if you look at what was done during last season, I think that it's easy to forget that during last season they traded for Willie Adamas, they traded for Rowdy Tellez, they traded for Eduardo Escobar, all three really important players for them in their division winning run last year, important players still to this day in in two of those cases, and Escobar was always a rental so that, you know, he left. And I think that you could point to, yes, they had some problems with getting guys at the deadline. Uh, the Daniel Norris acquisition, the Taylor Rogers acquisition, the Matt Bush. None of those deadline bullpen acquisitions worked the way that they thought they would. But then I went and looked at what else they did in the bullpen over that time. And if you look at the, the guys that they brought in in the offseason, you have Brad Boxberger, who's been here for two years and has been very good. If you look at Hobie Milner. He's been good. If you look at uh Trevor Gott this year, Trevor Gott came in and was was quite useful for them. And I'm forgetting somebody from last year, but there was also somebody else that came in in, in 2021 that uh that was pretty useful. Oh Hunter Strickland. Hunter Strickland put up a 1.73 ERA in uh <laughs> 2021. Yeah. So like Yes, there were some hiccups in terms of what they did and you could maybe criticize what they didn't do, which was making the bigger splashier acquisitions that you may have wanted. But I don't think the record is to say that he was like in some sort of a slump here. I don't think that that's that's correct to say. I think that you have to look at it like yeah, he 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 didn't pull another rabbit out of a hat. There was no Yelich trade this last year. He he did not perform that miracle again. But I think that the moves that were done over the last couple of years were pretty solid. So I don't think there's much of a case for David Stearns having like drastically fallen off. I think that one of the things, too, and we'll get into it more later, is just it. it is difficult. Once you have built up a roster the way he has to fill holes gets harder and harder because you are now elevating and trying to get a higher class of player. And that gets much more difficult than like filling a hole. So. Yeah.
1: So as for part two, um, we were just talking over at IP Packing Company. Uh, I think it was Matab, who does not follow baseball, um, asking like kind of what it's like for uh, for baseball front offices. And um, Archon, our occasional co-host, said it's like uh, football, but all the front offices are all super competent, which is how <laughs> baseball is. And I think that's a good contrast from um, the, the Phil Bankston's. Uh, suggestion versus how baseball operates and how matt arnold is likely to operate because uh Bengston took over for lombardi who's obviously an all-time great and actually wasn't as bad as his uh when you take over for lombardi you're always going to look bad no matter what but he's like a 500 coach um which you know fine um but aside from that football is very very different animal here where uh there's still a lot of old football men with old football man ideas and when you get rid of any given person front office or coach Um, There's no telling what you're going to get after the fact there is no good methodology to uh, football in the future then projecting things forward. And you may have just a travesty or you might have a super great success. Baseball is not that way. Um, There is uh, as long as they don't do any drastic rule changes, which they did last year, by the way. But as long as there's not drastic rule changes to um, the way baseball is played and runs are created and runs are prevented, Matt Arnold will be fine. All of the baseball teams in existence play on a fairly even playing field in terms of front office acumen and understanding about what makes a good player and what doesn't. Um, And um, the Brewers should be fine in this regard. They have a good system down and he should continue it. This is not like a big personality thing like it is in football. Uh, As long as he is a studied hand and by all accounts he is, they should be fine. So no problems along those lines here.
0: That kind of leads us to our next Patreon question comes from Chris Richards asking Matt Arnold was Stern's right hand man since day one. So how will the student differ from the mentor? I think this is kind of interesting to think about. Um, Obviously, you know, we know Matt Arnold's kind of had an influence since he was brought on from Tampa Bay. He was uh, one of the guys who was very high on Willie Adamas and, and got the Brewers to trade for him. So I guess Ryan, what if anything, could be different going forward with Matt Arnold calling the shots.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the overall methodology is probably going to be about the same. I think we're not going to see drastic changes here. And I think that that's in large part because I think Matt Arnold was a very big part of David Stern's decision-making process. And I think that we should expect more of that to sort of continue. And I think that if you look at, like, the addition of Matt Klintock, who used to be the Phillies' GM... And how he was brought in by Matt Arnold last January. And, well, he was brought in by David Stearns officially, but I think you could probably draw a pretty straight line. Matt Klintock is going to be taking over as the number two behind uh, Matt Arnold. I would bet a lot of money on that. And we'll probably, once Matt Arnold, somebody comes sniffing around for him for a promotion to uh, president of baseball ops somewhere. And Mark Aids promotes Matt Arnold into president of baseball ops. And then the the GM position is open. Matt Klintock will probably slide right into that the same way that this happens all over baseball all the time. Yeah. So I think that they have a... W- what has been set up here is a system where they are doing... Uh, they've put in place a lot of good processes. That's one of David Stern's great legacies is that they've set up a pitching development system <laughs> here unlike anything we have in franchise history. And... I think they've turned the corner on the hitting development. It's a little early to say that for sure, but I think they've done that. Um, and history will prove out that 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 has was already sort of done under Stearns. We just didn't know it yet. But really, ultimately, uh, I think that Matt Arnold was brought in by David Stearns because they look at things largely the same way and can... Uh, can do some things. I think the one major difference, and this was pointed out by Keith Law on his podcast. And if you want to hear good discussion about this, listen to the uh, Derek Van Riper and Keith Law discussion about this at the end of last Friday's podcast, because they went into this. Uh, Matt Arnold has more of a scouting background than David Stearns did. And one thing that David Stearns did was cut back on scouting, traditional scouting, uh, and went more to video scouting with the Brewers. And it'll be interesting to see if Matt Arnold restaffs up more traditional scouting uh, compared to what David Stearns was doing in his tenure. Um, other than that, I doubt we're going to see major directional changes here.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. It just seems like um, this is really a process more than a person in terms of how they operate. And it's not going to be a drastic change. This, he's learned underneath. Stearns for quite some time. Uh, He's taking over a a pipeline and a system that's been built, and it's just not going to be that different. And Ryan's probably right. I wouldn't be surprised if he staffs up traditional scouting a little bit more than what the Brewers have had. Um, The Astros are sort of the pioneers of cutting their scouting and going to the video scouting method as part of an efficiency play by having fewer scouts do more scouting on video than traveling all over the place, Um, and also because they thought it would be more efficient and they could impose more objective standards on video scouting. But they have actually gone away from that a little bit. It was Mm -hmm. not as efficient as they thought it was going to be and have restaffed up their scouting as a result of, uh, I, I think, a good objective look at how it was failing them. And so I do think the Brewers might go that way with a little bit more of a scouting inclination running the show. Although, you know, the Astros do have the benefit of quite a bit more money to invest in such things so we'll see how the balance kind of kind of goes there and, and strikes with arnold in charge if, if they do kind of lean on this as a you know continued cost effective method of scouting that is i think at this point objectively inferior to some version of traditional scouting mixed in um that's just a matter of scale based on the size of the organization
2: yeah and you would be 100 percent correct to point that out and look at the the organizational dna when you had lunao running things and David turns is a disciple of of Lunel. That's where he was hired away from. Uh, they both employed that system. But when James Click came over from the Astro or sorry, from the Rays to yeah. run the the Astros, they started restaffing up their traditional scouting side. And I think that it very likely will happen with with Arnold, though. Don't expect it to be. I mean, we're not talking about not overnight. Per- yeah, well, yeah. not yeah. one, not overnight. And also don't expect it to be a collection of the old men scouts from um, the Moneyball movie. They're not going to, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be uh, <laughs> right. Uh, Is this girl type? yeah, exactly.
0: yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. We're not
2: talking about that kind of traditional scouting. It, it's going to be guys who run around with, uh, with the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the cameras, the, 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 the systems and all that stuff, and who are yeah. very well versed in those sorts of, uh, modern baseball things. Uh, it's just that they probably will, my guess, get more boots on the ground and have more in person looks at guys than what they were doing now because they had switched largely to data and a video, so they were having less boots on the ground guys, you know, actually going and attending games in person because they felt like they were getting enough information, you know, from other sources on that stuff.
0: For sure, I'm just super interested to see what the the first big move is going to be. <laughs> you know, just to kind of indicate maybe what the direction is going to be. You know, like you guys were saying, I wouldn't be surprised if it's generally the same because all of baseball is the same. Nobody really thinks differently these days. Everybody's kind of running the same type of operations. But, you know, the scouting thing and player development, that kind of thing is kind of where you make the difference. And I guess we'll see what we find out this winter. Um, Speaking of moves, Chris Richards has a second question here. Question here uh asking what about David Stearns the Mets for Brett Beatty <laughs> Ryan if if uh, uh some sort of compensation is being negotiated as I think a lot of us are maybe thinking about uh, what would it look like or what would you want it to look like would it be Brett Beatty or somebody
2: else or what are you thinking oh I would love for it to be Brett Beatty that would uh, be fantastic uh just so those of you who don't know Brett Beatty's is a top 50 prospect Uh, missed a lot of time this year due to injury for the uh, for the Mets, but is looking like legitimate, like stud future third baseman for the Mets. And uh, there's no chance in hell that would actually happen. The comps we have on this are old uh, in terms of when managers have been like traded for each other and whatever. But it is way lower down prospects or cash considerations are given in these situations. Don't be expecting a major player. And I, I can't imagine that that would be what Mark Atanasio is holding out for here, that he's trying to get that kind of compensation back for Stearns. So expect – set your sights a lot lower than somebody like Brett Beatty is what I'm saying. Some sweet
0: stock tips from Steve Cohen. <laughs> I don't know. Paul, what, what, if anything, would you hope to get in return for David Stearns? Or are you thinking this is like a, a cash transaction? Uh, something more like a cash transaction, you know,
1: like just a, a low level guy who maybe has a, a puncher's chance of turning into something or just bodies more than anything. You're not, you're not going to get one of the best prospects in the system for your GM. That's just not going to happen. You might get a few things back, but, uh, an unexciting transaction is the simple answer to this question. It'll be guys you haven't heard of maybe down the road. They're relief pitchers. Um, that's what you're looking at here. Yep.
0: All right believe it or not we got some patreon questions this week that aren't about david stern so let's go to jared vogeltans now who is asking what was your favorite moment of the pablo reyes era i uh am not a fan of Pablo reyes but ryan you seem to have at least some thoughts on
2: this well according to mlb.com on may 2nd 2021 pablo reyes made a backhanded grab And looking at the screen grab of the video clip there, it looks like he had to do a little bit of a dive over at third base. So (laughs) I'm going to go with that one.
0: Thanks, MLB Film Room, or whatever you're calling it, for uh, giving us that clue. Uh, Paul, what will be your lasting (laughs) memory of the Pablo Reyes era? Uh, His one walk this year,
2: I guess. It was really it. He had one walk.
0: Yeah, he did. Okay. I, I like I like walks from guys who you know don't walk that much. So I'll go with that. I uh, I'm gonna take this as another sign, Ryan, that Bryce Tereng is probably headed up to the major league roster next year. If he you know, was Pablo Reyes is not gonna be around. He was perfect stealing bases as a Brewer. That's oh, nice. There's that. Okay. Four, four and oh.
2: Yeah, I mean Bryce cool. Tereng does have to be added to the forty man this winter. So yep, <laughs> that's coming. <laughs> that's basically it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it looks like on. Uh, April 24th, 2022, he made two great catches. <laughs> nice. Not one. Wow. But two Love great catches. Better. So, like, and there was also cool. a diving stop during spring training, March 20th, 2022. So, like, Ooh, he was making he some diving there. stabs. Like, he was he was doing some stuff. Uh, but it's basically all defense, though, if that tells you anything about I it. I mean, so, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's about it. He hasn't hit since he stopped taking the horse steroids in Pittsburgh. No. So, there's that. Uh, Mark Podscarby asking, or actually pleading here, help me care about baseball again. I got into a debate with a friend, which led me to check the math. And since I was born, January of 92, 27 of the 30 World Series titles have gone to a team with a top 15 market in baseball. That means only three have gone to a team with a bottom 15 market. Two of those were the Cardinals, one of the Royals. With the deck seemingly stacked so much against teams in smaller markets, why should Brewer fans even care? Woof. This is this is our <laughs> mindset right now. Uh this this fits in with the mood of this podcast. Paul, why do we even care about the stupid game?
1: Can I start with
0: um while winning a World Series is the goal
1: that it's probably not the best determining factor for your enjoyment of sports that any given sport have that much parity. Uh I know it seems good. I know like football has a lot of parity, um, but it's not always best idea for any given sport and baseball has chosen to pursue parity not really through like things like salary caps went football does but through randomness and playoffs lately and it's not that good um the reason to care about baseball is a, a different problem which is that baseball has gotten far less interesting over the past several years than it used to be uh, there's a really, really good article about Um, I wish I had it handy, but I can't Google things right now because my computer keeps crashing. Uh, Good article somewhere that I retweeted. You can find it on my Twitter timeline. uh, At Bedro Noonan. Yes. uh, About um, how analytics have, to some extent, ruined baseball, but not just baseball. Also, a lot of other things like movies uh, and music and how it has led to a homogenization of a lot of um, cultural content. In catering both to the largest common denominator, but also in um, in driving certain things to do to, to sort of pursue certain aspects of those music and music, Marvel movies and things that most people like that are um, that are correct and efficient by you know the definition of selling, um, but that overall make the product worse, make film worse, make music worse, uh, and. Baseball's problem is much more along those lines than in the Brewers futility and winning World Series. Uh, that's what they need to change and get back to. And in terms of watching baseball, I'd urge you to watch teams that are entertaining for their own sake and to y- yell at baseball people front office wise about um, uh, the, the sort of micro level changes that have happened to baseball that make uh, strikeouts very attractive and home runs very attractive. And... Um, urge them to make drastic changes. One of the problems baseball has is it never makes drastic changes. Football makes drastic changes all the time to drive offense. Uh, The NBA outlawed types of defense for a while, and they're running into their own sabermetric problem because three-pointers are too incentivized. People like it, but it is a different game, and it could get boring at some point. But baseball is stodgy and does not change its rules that much. And uh, caring about baseball, I think, is much more about Uh, urging baseball to make some drastic changes to the way the game is played, to drive strikeout rates down. Um, Otherwise, it's going to be just a slog from here on out.
2: Yeah, I knew you were going to point to that article because I was actually reading that article uh, when I was waiting to get into a lighthouse over the weekend. Uh, I
0: (laughs) had come back from lunch. There's a sentence. And I
2: also knew because I had seen this question and was thinking about it all morning. Yeah. And I spent literally most of... Sunday morning thinking about this question because it so got to me. And I actually asked, uh, I asked a follow-up question here from – this was Mark Budsgarby, right? Yeah. And I, I talked to him a little bit about it and uh, to, to just sort of like what are we talking about when we say markets? Like what is the definitional thing of market here? And I, I started looking up some stuff and like you could quibble about some of the, the definitions here and say, well, it's not actually the bottom 15 markets or whatever, and all of that is fine. And you could also talk about the fact that there a bunch of teams have gotten really close. Teams not inside that thing have gotten really close to winning World Series, but they just haven't. But if you get that close, you could have won it. I mean, it—you it, just the fact you didn't, and all of that. But I, I sort of got more philosophical as I was sitting there looking at that oh lighthouse and oh, thinking right, about right, that. Right. And it
0: very I'm, pensive, Ryan. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I was I was thinking about it, and it what came into my head was the Thomas Boswell quote from the. Uh, from the Ken Burns baseball thing. And I tried to find the exact wording of it and I can't find the exact wording of it, but it was the, the, the gist of it is basically that um, baseball is a game that is very hard to love. If winning is everything. And that always has stuck with me because what he's talking about is the fact that for the most part, you know, in, in baseball, you don't have teams that win, you know, 80 90 percent of their games like you do in in say basketball and football that that doesn't happen um a really really great team maybe gets to about two-thirds of their games won like and those are the the all-timers those are those are the all-time great teams get to about that point so even the very best teams are going to lose two one-third of the time right and so (coughs) Like baseball in and of itself is just sort of not set up to function that way where winning – what was the Lombardi quote? Like uh winning isn't uh, everything, it's the only thing, like that sort of thing. Baseball can't – it can't work that way. And also I think beyond that, you just get into this idea that like there are 30 baseball teams and one of them can win a World Series in a given year. And so if you've decided – that one team had success, and that the other twenty nine were failures, then you have sort of set the entire proposition up to be a losing one. And like basically everybody's losers, you know, all the time, except you know for that one team. And I think that that really does it it creates problems. And so many we've talked about this so many times it's come up on Twitter, and people get so angry about it and whatever. But, the idea that like this, either you're the champion or you're nothing part of the culture. And I actually was listening to an old podcast. Actually, it wasn't even that old A uh, conversation between Keith law and Craig Calcaterra. Craig Calcaterra just wrote a book about rethinking fandom and I still haven't read it. I'm going to, but, uh, I still haven't read it, but they sort of get into this idea that like, there's this sort of misery of people that, uh, like when you say that the only thing that matters is winning a championship. If you don't win a championship, then you're nothing. Uh, that this is making for really miserable sporting experiences for people. Right. More than anything, right? It's setting yourself up to be mad. It's setting yourself up to be disappointed and angry. And you're choosing when you do that to just be pissed off all the time. And I, in a different conversation, I just heard somebody was talking about this in, in the context of uh, – of the uh the NFL Sundays and they said that like you listen on uh, or you look on Twitter on NFL Sundays and everybody is just the most miserable version of themselves exactly all day during NFL exactly. Sunday afternoon it's and it's uh it, so like I I don't know fan who you want to fan and, and do whatever feels right to you but just I think I would be miserable if I took that that stance that like winning a world series is the only thing that matters because I think there's a lot more to it. I think there's so much more involved with baseball that's just um, besides the fact that we've now set up this like four tiered playoff system. So winning a (laughs) World Series is so inflected with randomness, like the very best team in baseball this year clearly was the Dodgers and they didn't make it out of their first playoff round that they played. And, yes, it does look like there's a very good chance that the uh, the second best team in baseball this year is going to end up winning the World Series, right? That the, the Houston Astros sure. are going to win the World Series. And and you could say, oh, yeah, they're an elite team. And and that would be a fair point to make. And you could look at recent history and say that in, in 2018, the Dodgers were – sorry, the Red Sox were a great team and they won the World Series. And in 17 the Astros were a great team and they won the World Series, even though they were, you know, banging trash cans. But and the Cubs in sixty, you can look at those teams. Right. But then you look at twenty twenty one, the Braves, twenty nineteen, the Nationals, and potentially twenty twenty two, the Phillies, who barely, barely made the playoffs and yeah, lost thirteen of their final twenty. Yeah,
0: they didn't even go into the playoffs hot, right? No. Like that throws a wrench into the whole get hot at the right time thing because they damn near threw it away. So
2: and yeah. so, when you just add all of it up, it's like. If if the only thing that matters is winning a championship and it's not to say that that's not a valuable thing to do and not something you want to happen, I would be as excited as anybody if the Brewers win a World Series. But if it's the only thing, if it's if everything else is crap and, and nothing else matters other than that, I just I you're going to be miserable. And yep. I, I don't know what else to say than that.
1: That's not really what baseball's for. No, No, That article by the way is by Derek Thompson It was in the Atlantic It's called what Moneyball for everything has done to American culture I highly recommend reading it It's excellent
2: I really like the political angle on it too Because I instantly as soon as I thought of it I'm like that 100% Has inflected politics And it really Like Nate Silver did that for for both uh, Baseball and for politics So thanks Nate Appreciate you
0: <laughs> this conversation kind of goes back to over the summer. Remember, we had an episode that was called "Expectations or Premeditated Resentments," mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and it was during a particularly uh, tough time in the Brewers' season. But kind of gets to that point too. And yeah, I mean, can I, I, can I give practical advice to Mark real quick? Sure. I care about baseball again. You should
1: go to a minor league game or a Mallards game, which yeah. is just a fun experience where no championships can possibly be won where beer and hot dogs are generally cheaper, and uh, where it's just about having a good time in the moment and seeing people uh, still perform incredible feats of athleticism against people roughly the same caliber as they are. Um, And uh,
0: it's just a good old time in a self-contained little unit. Yeah, let me tell you, since I moved to Madison, I've been to like three or four Madison Mallards games. I could not tell you a damn thing that happened in the actual game. (laughs) Nobody can. Nobody knows. Part of any- that might be the duck blind uh, right. doing its magic on my memory. But, I mean, yeah, to Paul's point, it's just a, a much more fun atmosphere. It's entertainment. That's what this generally is. You know, like some people love to binge Netflix shows. We like to put baseball games on every night for an entire summer and annoy our significant others. But, you know, it. That's mm-hmm. generally what it is. It's entertainment and you know, I've talked a lot about it's okay to not watch every single game every single night. In fact, it's probably better for your feeling about the team overall and and the season overall if you don't. It doesn't make you any less of a fan. It just yeah, it remember it's entertainment. It's not that serious. Nobody dies if the Brewers don't win the World Series. You're a lot happier once you accept that they never will and you'll just be pleasantly surprised when they do yeah all right moving on we've got one from archduke Asilitam or darth paul i can't decide (laughs) (laughs) uh saying next year is the first year of the balance schedule how does this affect the brewers and should it affect how they build the roster i'm assuming they factored in playing the cubs reds (laughs) pirates 57 times paul your thoughts on that probably not as much as people think Mm -hmm. um because they still
1: are competing against the same teams in their division, and up and down, um, like the cu- so you'll get a few more games against like Yankees and the Astros and whatever. Um, but so will all those teams, including the other teams you're rivals with, and those are hard games. And they'll get more, you know, easy games from those divisions, and there'll be some unbalance in. How strong these NL Central is versus other teams. But by and large, it'll mostly balance out. It's not going to be that huge of an impact on making the playoffs. It will have an impact, some impact on the wild card for sure. But um, even with those strengths, it's going to be so diluted. Um, it, honestly, like uh, they're helped a little bit by the weak division in terms of wild card competing right now. But um, other than the super awesome teams like the Dodgers, a lot of the rest is just in sort of a miasma of mediocrity in the middle. And uh, it's still going to be relatively simple to compete for a wild card in that space if that's what they're built for. And winning the division won't get any harder. It's the same old teams they'll always have and playing the same old schedules that they always have. So it, it's not that big a deal. It's probably good for entertainment value. And it I don't think it conveys the huge advantage that a lot of people think it does. Or disadvantage in this case, I would say.
2: It's also just not that drastic of a change. Uh, I think we need to point out that it's not a balanced schedule. The Brewers will still play their four division rivals 14 times. That's double or more the games they play against anybody else. Okay, The most that they play against anybody else, I think, is it's either six or seven. So they're still playing their division like twice as much as they're playing anybody else. They're losing five of those games against each of those teams and they're being reassigned mostly over to uh American League. Yeah. You know, we're going to be playing all the teams in the American League instead of just, you know, the one division. And so the way that those games are going to be, you know, distributed around, yes, you're losing those games against the the bad teams, the Reds, the Pirates, and the Cubs. You're losing those 15 games or whatever. But you're also losing five games against presumably a pretty decent Cardinals team. And then you're replacing it with, you know, a lot of games against yes, you're you're going to you know, be facing the Houston Astros and you're going to be facing the Seattle Mariners. You're going to face the Yankees and you're going to face, you know, uh, the, the rays, you're going to face good teams, but, but also you're also, Oakland. <laughs> right. You're also going to pick up games against Oakland and Texas yeah, and, you know, the, I don't know who's bad in the, the AL East, nobody that's, that's
0: the tiger. Well, yeah, not in the East, but yeah, yeah. you know, yeah.
2: Yeah. So you're going to pick up games against the dregs of, of the other divisions too. So I think it will make a small difference. It will maybe make it a little bit harder for the Brewers to win, say, a wild card than it was this year. But that's by such a small margin. When it all comes out in the wash, it's probably, you know, a game or two difference. And so it's small. And I don't think it's going to be a deciding factor in how next season shakes out. So I think it's it's a smaller change than what people are maybe anticipating it being.
0: Sure. Next question comes from Tom hate asking, will Craig be more flexible with his bullpen in tight games next year? Now that hater is gone, or is Williams just going to be the de facto ninth inning guy, it seemed like late in the year he was a tad more flexible. So I guess, Paul, do you see that continuing for a full season without Josh hater? Uh, probably not.
1: Um, I think he would, the Brewers in an ideal world would like to just pitch pitchers whenever they want, but there is just a factor that comes into play with all of them that saves are part of compensation. And also just with the rules, it's harder to like with a three inning rule, it's harder to do that. Uh, Devin Williams, if he is the closer, closer, whatever is going to want, I think the same thing that Hader wanted with the saves. And that's kind of where they'll end up. But I think, I think I still think the Brewers are, as flexible as they reasonably can be most of the time it's just that they don't have the 40 guys in september anymore they don't have a zillion pitchers to rely on they have closers who want to be paid like closers and the stats that are dependent on getting them paid like closers or saves and the brewers work around all that to the best of their ability to do so and the platoons aren't as useful as they used to be because you got to stay in for three guys and they can pinch hit around your platoon guys so It's just harder to do that, and it's not like a brewer's decision to be more traditional. It's a brewer's decision to have to adapt to rules that were enacted to stop the brewers from doing this very thing. So uh, I doubt he'll be much more flexible. Um, That's just sort of how baseball is now, and they'll have to sort of adapt in other ways to the restrictions on, on pitcher usage that now exist.
2: I agree down the line not going to add anything let's keep rolling i want to take this next question first
0: <laughs> all right you're dibsing the question from price trozen asking how do you think the umpiring was in your observation this past season oh geez ryan <laughs> i would check the ump scorecards occasionally throughout the season especially after closed losses and he says in parentheses i'm an advocate for robo umps f the human element <laughs> so ryan I know you're you have a lot of feelings about referees of all sports. so uh, mm-hmm. your your feelings on umpiring lately.
2: okay. So I will say, as far as football and basketball, I'm mostly conspiratorial-minded about it. And so that stuff comes out very well, clearly yes. on Twitter. And uh, Everybody
0: hates Wisconsin. Everybody knows that. It's yes, very
2: – yeah. And it, it drives me nuts. And I, I think what I – during Packers games this year, my most common tweet is something absurd happens with a referee. And I'm just like, why do I watch the sport anymore?
0: Yeah. And we're heading into Bo Borosky season. So I'm thinking of you.
2: He's yeah. done. He's gone. Oh, He's retired. Gone. Okay, No Thank more God. Bo Borosky. Thank God. Yeah. Yes, so uh, umpires. Yes, (laughs) actually, I've been more forgiving on umpires. Like I don't complain really about much as far as that goes anymore. My one big complaint is a rules complaint, which I bring up all the time, which is for the love of God, define what a swing is so that we're not all sitting here going. Well, did he break his wrist? Did he break the plane of the front of the dish? Because nobody knows it doesn't. There's nothing in the rule book. So define what a swing is overall. I used to be robo umps. Now uh, I've been talked out of that largely, I'm sure, by effectively wild, which I listen to all the time. And and there are good arguments that you know going to a full on robo zone probably isn't in the best interests of the game. And I have heard good things coming out of the AFL about how uh, this challenge system is really working well. And I think we're we're not going to get it next year, but I think we're going to get it the year after, which is basically like in tennis. Where if you challenge a call. Um, it, like two like, seconds
1: later it pops two up. Two seconds later yeah. it pops up and
2: it goes on the Jumbotron. And they, it's worked the whole time. Like everybody says it, it pops up right away. And all the, yep. the dugouts everybody gets on the top step and watches it. And then there's a bunch of hooting and hollering. And uh, all that. And it's it's great fun. And the current system is you get five challenges. Um, but you don't lose a challenge unless you get it wrong. So you, you have to be judicious about your use of your challenges throughout the game. And I don't know, they'll have to tweak that system and whatever, but I think that's much better than going to a full on robo zone. And I so I
0: definitely dig that. Yeah. That I think great.
2: I think it, it does sound great. And I also want to point out, because I mentioned it on Twitter, did you guys see what happened that had never happened before in the umpire scorecard era on, in yeah, game, game Pat, two?
1: Pat Holberg um, umped a perfect game.
2: Yep. Uh, that was wow. a hundred and. 32 he was 132 out of 132 calls correct so I've taken pitches he had
1: 139 out of 139
2: 139 yep 100 there it is 139 out of 139 yep and it's funny because my brother who has kind of lapsed in his baseball fandom as well he sent me this and he goes have you heard of this guy and I'm like I've heard the name but I couldn't tell you anything about whether or not he's good or bad and that does kind of tell you something. One, they're yeah, younger. Yeah, that's the
0: sign. He's good. You don't know his name, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a center in football. You don't know his name. Anyway. Well, also
2: just because he hasn't been around that long. Like, he's on the sure. younger side. So he is, does not have the 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 years of, you know, you seeing him over and over and over again out there. And so, yeah, I, I think that by and large, I think umpiring is pretty decent. I, I'm constantly amazed watching replays and going, man. He got that right, and it was so close, like slowed down to just milliseconds. You're like, okay, you can see he just barely nipped the runner, just barely. It was by like, you know, the foot was just like five inches from from hitting the bag when the ball hit the back of the glove, but the umpire got the call right, and you see that over and over and over again, and it's sort of, it does reinforce that these guys are actually really, really good at their job. The, the thing that I don't like is when you get an ump show and an umpire starts inserting themselves into the game but i think baseball from my perspective has cleaned a lot of that up right you don't see that nearly as much as you used to
1: it's gotten a lot better and where it still exists is guys like angel hernandez who have like lawsuits and are are difficult to discipline and work with at this point like those guys exist they're hard like they might stick around until they age out of baseball but um it's gotten a lot better, and the new guys seem actually quite a bit better than the old guys, um, so it's it's not as big a problem as it used to be. Joe West is gone.
2: He retired. Mm, yeah. No more cowboy. He's yeah. uh, head on to old down that old dusty trail, I guess.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys saw. I, I forget if it was like the New York Times or something right before the World Series kind of had like this interactive thing where it was like, oh, so you think you can umpire better than the guys on TV. Here's seven really borderline pitches and by the rule book, is it a ball or a strike? So a lot of people were playing with that ahead of time too. It is just super interesting to look at next question. This week comes from, uh, Chad Fairs, Who's asking, I feel the need to get quote unquote value out of my Jersey purchases, who is a current roster member that you would feel good about buying a Jersey of Yelich probably isn't going anywhere and he didn't yeah. have some great seasons, the brewer, but it's hard to get excited about that purchase. Do you wait to see if Burns or Woodruff get an extension? Does anyone else struggle to buy gear with spaghetti model of player acquisition? I am with you, Chad. I like try not to buy a jersey unless I'm reasonably confident it'll be, you know, still good in like three years' time. Uh, one year, though, for my birthday, my mom did get me a Zach Ranky Brewer's jersey, but I'm not even mad about that because that's awesome. Zach Ranky's awesome. Yeah. But like my collection for now, for full reference, And these are kind of the knockoff cheaper jerseys. I'm not going to pay $200 for them. Sorry. Uh, But I've got a Willie Adamas. I've got a Corbin Burns, of course. And then I went Ryan Braun forever. So, you know, one that'll stand the test of time. But I guess, Paul, you don't strike me as a jersey guy. But if you were buying jerseys, (laughs) I I, I offended you deeply. I'm sorry. I have so many jerseys. What's your... Okay. So what's your standard for jerseys then?
1: So, um... Uh, I I do agree generally with the try to go long-term in some capacity. Uh, But my Brewers jerseys that I own are, uh, I have a a Ricky Weeks jersey. I have an Mm -hmm. all-star Ricky Weeks jersey. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. How did I forget about that? The orange and black one. Yeah. I have have a Robin Yount jersey. And I have a J.J. Hardy jersey that I got for Christmas that I never wore too terribly much, but I've got it. And then I have so many Packer jerseys. I have a yeah. signed Alan Lazard jersey, Devontae Adams jersey, James Jones jersey, Greg Jennings jersey, three Aaron Rodgers jersey, Charles Woodson jersey, a Donald oh Driver God. jersey, a Jordan Nelson, Jordy Nelson jersey. Um, and I think I have an old Travis Jervey jersey that might be my brother's. I gotta dig that out. <laughs> no. And then I have a Chris Middleton Bucks jersey because I think that he is the under not he's not oh, as yeah, underrated, that's right. He's not as underrated and unsung as he once was. But um, I I always felt like he got a raw deal before they won the championship. And um, he's awesome. So,
0: yeah, I forgot about my Bucks ones. Yeah, I've got. uh, Oh, and I have a John Stocko jersey. fantastic. I've got a Bobby Portis because I love me some Bobby Portis. And even if he only plays another year, that's going to stand the test of time. And then I've got a Chris Middleton Team USA Olympic jersey because he's a USA hero. God damn it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Ryan, I guess you're feeling on the jerseys. What's your line?
2: Yeah, for just in terms of the advice here, I would say wait for the extension to be signed <laughs> and then sure uh, respond accordingly at that point. I think that Adamas and Woodruff are both guys that if they sign an extension, I think there's a good chance of that, that I would be uh, totally on board jumping up and buying that. I too, Paul, have a Ricky Weeks jersey. It was a gift for my wife for my birthday. Uh, the first year that, uh, they had a home game on my birthday, which is April 16th. And for some reason, for like the first 10 years we lived here, they never played a home game on April 16th. So the first, it was really, it was really strange. And the first time it happened, she made a big show out of it and did a whole thing for it. We went to a steakhouse. I got my Jersey. We went and had really good seats, like right by home plate. It was great. So yes, um, I would, I would wait for that extension. Uh, for something that truly matters or, you know, uh, the the hero of of a moment, something that like stands out in your mind. That's that's another way to go, because that like that moment that will never get taken away. Like if if yeah. you have a jersey like James has the the Grinky jersey because you love Zach Grinke, because of course you love Zach Grinke because he's great. Um, <laughs> of course. Like that sort of thing, those kind of hold up and, and stand the test of time in a way that somebody that's a little bit more transient, you know, might not.
1: Yeah. My real advice is get a Ricky Weeks jersey by the way. That's yes. <laughs> <Join> <laughs>
2: That's just good advice in general just yeah. 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 Everybody should have a Ricky Weeks yeah. jersey. Or yeah. two of Absolutely. them in Paul's case. Yeah. How many you do you go. think Andy Schaff has? Does he uh, get like a closet many. full of them? Like he at a, least
0: has one. It might be a jersey, but I know he's got Yeah. Do you think he has the All Star jersey too? I, bet I don't think so. It was on eBay oh.
1: forever, and I, I I think it was just there's one on eBay, and I bought it. There was <laughs> I, my biggest regret is there was a Ricky Weeks uh, like Italian jersey. They did the, <laughs> what? They did oh man! They did one for every sausage.
0: sausage. Oh, yeah. For okay. that whole.
1: And the Italian one was out there forever, and I was just looking at eBay right now, and it appears to be gone. But it was there forever, and I was like, I should just buy oh, that. Man. I'm not I'm not Italian, I'm not even close to Italian. <laughs> but I was like, I I would need that, but I didn't actually need it. That's fine. But get
0: That's that amazing. if you can find it. Yeah, get the weird ones. That's also my advice. Yeah, if you can find a random weird one on eBay for like 20 bucks, go for it. Definitely worth it. All right. Wrapping things up this week. This is actually a holdover from one of the other weeks. Another question from Jared Vogeltans asking, have any of you had any success getting your children to enjoy baseball? My son is just under a year old, and I'm looking for good ways to introduce him to the sports. Uh, Paul, you're the only one of us who has offspring. So any yeah, luck got... in getting kids to like baseball? <laughs> My son's never going to like baseball. It's not his
1: cup of tea, but they like going to games. My daughter likes it Okay. Uh, I would again recommend minor league baseball for children. Um, minor league baseball is great at catering to families. They uh, between every inning have interactive entertainment that kids love. They often end with a fireworks display. Uh, the Kane County Cougars always do. They're the closest ones to my house now, um, up in Minnesota. Well, the Saints are now Triple A AAA team, which is weird, but they're yeah. super fun to go to. Um, and they often have good food and beer deals, too. They're good for parents and kids alike. Uh, If you go to a major league game, especially uh, in Milwaukee, I can also speak to Detroit on this one. Um, Sundays are really good. Family night's really good. Kids get to run the bases after the game. Um, They have a lot of kid-friendly things going on in the kid areas of the stadium at Miller Park. There's face painting and tattooing and free balloons and things of that nature. Um, You know, Get them ice cream, keep them occupied. Go check out the best parts of the game. That's the best way to go about it. I keep it simple, too. Like, don't tailgate with kids. It's too long of a day if you do that. Like, mm-hmm. go pay for parking. Get, I know it costs a lot. Parking is... Everything's expensive. It's stupid. But if you want our kids to like it, um, get, get in. Have it be convenient. Have it be the three hours of the game with good food and drink and, you know, balloons and stuff and get out. And that's the best way to do it. Minor League's the way to go if you want to do it cheap. It's as fun for them and um, they'll never be able to tell the difference.
2: I would just say that I think that it's a thing that happens over time and people will like fall in and out of love with baseball and like come back to it at various points at different ages. I think as a little kid, you can like it just because, you know, it's a spectacle and there's stuff going on. As a slightly older kid, you might start to appreciate it because you're like playing T-ball or then playing, you know, Little League or something and then... As a as a person who gets a little bit older and moves into like I did, I really kind of came back to baseball more when I was a late teenager. Um, and m- I, I started to see more in the game that I liked um, and that held my attention in a way that it maybe didn't when I was like 10, 11, and 12. Um, I've sure. always been a, a baseball fan to some degree, but there definitely was a point where it, it became more of a thing that I could concentrate on and really uh, sort of understand. And that came later. So there's different levels. And I think that the biggest thing is to just be there at events, to go at two games and to be spending time with the kids in that thing. And there's a good chance that they'll be create enough uh, happy memories of you with the games that it's something that they're going to want to stick with.
0: Yeah. Put your radio out of the car too yep sure that's a good call too all good stuff uh lots of good questions this week some of them we we were about a week late getting to because we had so many last week but we appreciate them all as a reminder you get question priority both on this podcast and on the packers one you definitely need the question priority to get your question onto the packers podcast at this point uh lots of questions there as well to to get answered and when you become a patron, you get a shout out here on the program. And Ryan, it looks, it looks like we do have one to shout out this week as well.
2: Yes. Welcome to Mr. Charcoal um, for <laughs> signing up. <laughs> so. <laughs> so good. Yep. I, 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 I've i
0: sworn off assuming football ones, but I feel like that's a, a decent. <laughs> it's at least a football play on words. So uh, seems, thank seems you. like for, it might be a football one. Yeah. We'll yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you, Mr. Charcoal, for signing up this week. Uh, reminder, too, uh before we go, even if you're not a patron and you want to support us in another way, you can do that for free. Go and leave us a review and a five-star rating for this podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Paul will literally read anything you write in the, the review. If you do give us five stars while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for sticking with us for another supersized episode this week. Uh, I don't think any of us kind of anticipated going this long. But, you know, there's a lot to talk about when David Stearns leaves up and leaves after, uh, you know, one of the best runs in franchise history. So thanks for hanging with us, everybody. Thank you for all the questions. We appreciate the support. And we will be back here next time on The One.
1: Paul, you're muted. (laughs) This is a a very rough broadcast. Uh, Um...